is Psalm 63. It's printed in the bulletin. Please give your ear to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My, My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding the power and the glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of the liars will be stopped. The word of the Lord. So it is a pleasure to be with you once again. There's a lot of new faces here, but actually I, I recognize many of you. Uh, again, my name is Chris Popovich. Um, my wife is... Uh, her name is Sherry. I have two children that are going to college this year, so we will be empty nesters, which will be, some people say, a treat. Other people will say that it's a big transition and it's going to be very difficult. I will wait and see, and uh, I'll let you know how that goes. Uh, during the week, I'm a healthcare administrator, so uh, it was particularly interesting when I came across this little bit of information over the last couple of weeks. Uh, as I was researching the, the health care system in the state of Connecticut. In the mid-19th century, uh, Connecticut opened its very first children's hospital in the town of Newington and named it the Home for the Incurables. Now, someone in the marketing department must have heard the voice of reason because that name didn't last for very long. And after a few changes... It's now known as Connecticut Children's Medical Center. I would say that's much better. Uh, A bit more reassuring, wouldn't you say? However, as unattractive as the name of this hospital was, the home for the incurables, it was a place for children to go when they had some of the worst diseases. Incurable diseases. Now you might imagine how each of these parents felt when they heard the dreaded news that their children had an incurable disease. Imagine the weight of that diagnosis that was categorized as incurable. Talk about no hope. Talk about a downright miserable situation. Have you ever thought that maybe you had the incurable? It doesn't have to be a physical illness. Maybe it's the job that you're in. Or, or maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you are just lonely and you feel like you have no friends and no one who cares for you. Maybe 
the incurable is the very weight of your sin. Well, David had what I would say to be a pretty miserable situation. And perhaps, maybe at one time or another, he too thought he had the incurable. Psalm 63 tells us exactly what was on David's heart and mind during a time that he was in the desert, most likely as he was running for his life. David's son Absalom sought to overthrow him, and in order to do so, his father, David, was on his hit list. Hear this. David's own son, sought to kill him. I would suggest to you that this was pretty awful. And I think it's probably as bad as it could get. Think about it for just a minute. We each have people that may not like us. Some might even say they have an enemy or two. But to be in such a situation, to have your house in such shambles, that your son wants you dead, that you're forced to hide in the desert to give up all of those relationships, to forego your family and all of your friends, to give up your throne. I would say that David had it pretty bad. It's interesting. I read an article not that long ago in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. That's not a magazine I read normally. Just please mark that down if you're taking notes. It's not something I read. But I did find it to be pretty interesting because it did say something that uh, fit right in here. It said that loneliness and depression are so linked closely together that while manifesting the same signs and having the same symptoms, it makes it difficult to untangle the causal influence of one another. In other words... Depression and loneliness, more often than not, co-occur. They can occur so much that they often look a lot like one another and get confused for one another. So one more time, David had it pretty bad. However, unlike King Ahaz, who in the time of distress became more faithless, David became more faithful. And here in Psalm 63, we have what Charles Spurgeon refers to as the wilderness hymn. King David, in the midst of his trials, smack dab in perhaps what was the most difficult time in his entire life, turns to his God in deep adoration and praise. David worships. And so what I'd like us to do is take a look at this wilderness hymn and see it as a description of David's relationship that he has with his Lord. Because it's a telltale of what worship does for him. And we see David pouring out his heart for us to read. We get a glimpse into what's going on in David's heart as he is all alone in the desert with his God. So, in examining this psalm, we will see that worship is spiritual nourishment. We will also see that worship displays the very power of God. 
And lastly, we will see that worship strengthens us when we are weak and lonely. So, beginning with verse 1, we can hear an intensity in David's voice, wouldn't you say? Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Now, notice with me for just a minute. Something that I would actually say is somewhat peculiar. That while in distress, missing his family, missing his life, probably missing the very throne that he sat on to govern the land, while all by himself in the desert, there is no mention from David for him to call upon God to deliver him from this very bleak situation. There was no sound of David's voice calling up to God to restore to him his fortunes. There was no cry for God to to bring David back home because he missed the old neighborhood. There was none of that. David says this, I am all by myself. I am thirsty. But it is you, Lord. It is you, my God, that I desire. It is you that I long to be in communion with. And don't overlook this this very fact that David identifies God as his God. Because it is this claim, this very claim of possession, that drives David's intense desire to be in the presence of the Lord. Are there any more words more comforting, more assuring, than when they're coupled together that, that brings such delight to the soul to hear, than to hear when we say, my God? David's profession rings with confidence that though he is alone, he's really not lonely. His God is with him. And because so, David wants more. But nothing more than to be in the Lord's presence. And so David says, I long to be in your sanctuary. I long to be in your house. It is while being with God in his holy place, while worshiping with other like-minded believers, that David recalls how his soul was nourished. And this is where he wants to be more than anything So let me ask you something. Do you share in David's desire? Do you want more than anything to be in fellowship with Almighty God? Is it your first and foremost desire each and every Lord's Day to come to Five Cone Street and share in the sweet communion with the Lord? Next week, my family and I will go on vacation to Florida where we have for the last 12 years. Now, some of you might be saying, Chris, do you realize it's July? Do you realize how hot it was this last couple of days and how much agony we were in? And you want to go for more? Well, I can tell you this, that while some people may even find it to be boring to go to the same place year after year, I can tell you that even when we get ready to board that plane 
and travel that 1,060 miles down to Jacksonville, Florida, my family gets jacked up. We are so excited and we can't wait to get there. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't look at my family vacations as a duty or something that we have to do. Vacations are a want to for me because my vacations are refreshing and they're filled with so much joy. We enjoy every moment while we're there. We go downtown St. Augustine and we go to the beach and we look for all those restaurants with those greasy burgers. We just can't wait to enjoy one another's company. I remember one time when my, my daughter was, was younger and she said that she wanted the clock to slow down while we were on vacation. You know, I began to think about that after reading this psalm. And I wondered if I felt the same way I do about vacation as I do when I board the plane as I go down to Florida. Do I get jacked up for worship? Am I excited to come to church or is it simply a duty for me? When I'm at church, do I want the clock to speed up and and look for a 20-minute quick homily from the pastor? Or do I want that clock to slow down so that I can savor every moment I'm here and know indeed that the Lord is blessing me and working in my soul? Now, don't get me wrong. Worship is not only going to be taking place here in this place, this room. It's not only at church that we come to meet with God. Certainly, we we see David doing so in the desert. And we're called to pray even in our very closet. However, what David is proclaiming here is something is very special about corporate worship. And he likens his time in the sanctuary to his time in worship to dining at the king's table with the choicest foods. He said, worship is like eating and feasting on marrow and fatness. I'm reminded of Jesus and his words in Mark chapter 6 when he fed the the 4,000. And Mark tells us that after the women and the children ate with all of the men together, they were satisfied. Their bellies were full. Remember, they were weak and weary, and Jesus didn't want to send them on their way because they might even faint for they have to go such a long journey. But the scriptures tell us that after they eat, after they ate the, the fish and the bread, that they were satisfied. My friends, what David is saying is that worship satisfies the soul like nothing else. And it is here that you will have your fill of the Lord where his promises, the very promise that he makes to meet with his people, a place where they come to gather, those who are called by name would come together in one voice to ascribe to him all the glory and the honor that's due to him. And this is the best reason to get all jacked up 
and excited for worship. Because this is where we will commune with our God. Where we will do the very thing that we were created to do. Do you believe that? Some people say that they can't wait to get married. They can't wait for children. That they were born to be a mom or born to be a dad. My friends, I tell you that you were born to worship. And because this is true, worship nourishes the soul, especially when you need him the most. What's interesting to me is when I hear skeptics, when I hear them talking poorly about our holy religion, and they take pot shots at it, and they call Christianity the opiates of the masses, or maybe even a crutch. However, what's more interesting to me is some of the very acquaintances I have, some of the very friends that I have called dear to me. When their marriage has gone south, some of them have turned to another. When they've had a tragedy in their home, they've hit the bottle hard. So I would submit to you that it is right and it is fitting to desire to go to the Lord's house and worship when we, the people of God, are down and out. It is there we will find the antidote for our incurable. So besides nourishing our soul, worship also displays God's power and his glory. When David remembers his time in the sanctuary, he vividly remembers two characteristics that stand out about the Lord. His power and his glory. What's interesting to me is that I think I can identify with David here. And I bet you most people in this room would agree. Here's what I mean. We are wired to appreciate the best We marvel at the extreme and the superlative. We are thrilled by the biggest and the best, right? Car guys, you like loud trucks, fast cars, and high RPMs. Baseball nuts like me and Michael, we like the long ball. We like pitchers who hit 100 miles an hour on the radar gun. U.S. women soccer fans, you like being dominant. You like high-scoring games, though I suppose we could do without mocking the English. Musicians, you love that riveting number. And David, well, he loves a mighty God. And what stands out here in David's mind, while in the desert, all by himself, is a big God. A God who is mightier than all others. Because when push comes to shove, when when David's at his absolute worst, he wants the best by his side. Think about it for a minute. Which of you would spend one moment here if you thought for a moment 
that you were going to come to worship a weak God? Who would be here if they came to a place to worship a God who failed to keep his promises and could be overthrown by a big army? I would submit to you that we would have the sarcastic tone of Elijah, very similar to him as he mocked Baal and his prophets. Do you remember the scene? The prophets called up to Baal to to bring fire down upon the sacrifice. And they danced around that altar all night. But all they got was radio silence. So Elijah turned to them and he said, Why don't you shout a little louder? For he is a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and and he must be awakened. But it's different for our God, isn't it? We serve a mighty God who, as Jeremiah proclaims, made the heavens and the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Our God says of himself, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? People chosen by God himself, you worship a life-giving God who raised Christ from the dead and has seated him at the place of power and at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And as God has raised the Lord Jesus, he promises to raise us up by his power. Our God is a God who, when we are at our weakest, like David displays in his prayer in this wilderness hymn, sees God's power. When we are at our most pressing moments, God steps in and manages the situation. Yet I'm guessing there may be a few in the audience today that is less than impressed with God. Some might be saying they actually have it going on pretty good right now. While things may not be perfect, life isn't so bad. They may say, you know, I've, I've got good health. I've got a good paying job. My kids are doing well. They get good grades in school. My life loves me, at least I think so. My three-car garage is full. And I'm looking at retirement in just a few years. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things, what I would suggest that is if this is all that you need to satisfy you, your diet is weak. Rather than eating the steak and veggies, you choose the Big Mac and fries. In other words, if what this world offers you is all that you need, you are going after food that cannot sustain your soul. One theologian said it well when addressing those who find their fill here on earth. He said that our misery is that we thirst so much for the sublime. Interesting, Thomas Paine, one of the founding fathers of the United States, once said that the sublime is one step from being the ridiculous. Now, if you remember from chemistry what the sublime is, 
It's the substance that vaporizes when it's heated up. One minute you have it, the next minute, poof, it's gone. The theologian is saying this, instead of craving the eternal, we chase after the very thing that moth and rust destroy. My friends, it is in worship that we see the awesome power and glory of God on display. This is where our souls are nourished, where death becomes life. I actually think of worship as the anti-Demas. You remember who Demas is? It's the one that Paul describes to Timothy as the one who is in love with this present world. Worship reverses this. Worship redirects our love. Worship detaches us from the world and causes us to love and marvel at true greatness and real excellence. This is why you're here today. This is why you have come to meet him, to see him at work, to see the Lord through his spirit sanctify us, making us more and more like his beloved son. And here's the thing, and a good way maybe to remember how powerful God is. Our God is the antidote for all of our trials and tribulations. And he's the cure for us when we have been knocked down. He is actually our get up. He is our countermeasure for the incurable. He is the exact medicine that we need when we are ill. This is power and glory. So, Worship is spiritual nourishment. And worship displays the power of God. And lastly, worship strengthens us when we are weak and lonely. Let me first point out that David doesn't deceive himself by thinking that the situation he is in is okay. In other words, it's not as if David is sitting back in the wilderness saying, let's make the best of the situation. I'll I'll turn... Lemons into lemonade. And you know, this actually could be pretty cool. I could be taking a little bit of a break from being king for a while. I don't have to contend with all sorts of people bothering me and troubling me with all, their, all of their problems. A little break from my family actually could be a good thing. Let's view my time out in the desert as a sabbatical. No. David didn't do any of that psychological gymnastics to calm his fears. There was no whistling by the graveyard. David is desperate for help, and he acknowledges this. The wilderness hymn includes his time, while when he goes to bed, he gets up in the middle of the night to stand guard, and at this time reflects on how good God is, and how he has been his protector and his helper. Verses 6 through 8 says this. When I remember you on my bed, he says, I meditate you, meditate on you in the middle of the night, in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. 
Have you ever left worship on a spiritual high? I bet you most of you can describe a time when you, you left worship and you can remember leaving this very place, sensing that the Lord is walking right beside you to the point that worship carries over into the middle of the week. And before you know it, it's Thursday, and you're still rejoicing and singing the blessed hymns and remembering the great promises that were preached here that very Sunday and knowing deep within your soul that the Lord who created the heavens and the earth is right beside you. And you ask yourself, while in the middle of your wilderness, if this powerful God is for me, who can stand against me? Not cancer, not a bad job, not a failing or troubled marriage, and not even my sin. Just like David describes in verses 3 through 5, worship stays with you. The very hands that you raised in worship in the sanctuary and the praises that you uttered with joyful lips carries over during the week And even though you may feel alone during a time when your flesh is weak and you may feel like you have the incurable, you know that your God is there. Brothers and sisters, hear this precious truth. You are not alone in the desert. And it is for this very reason that we can tuck ourselves under the shadow of the powerful wing of God Almighty. And I love what verse 8 tells us. It provides such great assurance. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Now in the original, David is conveying that he is clinging to God, sticking to him like glue because God is his savior. The Lord is his rescuer and protector. Whatever you're dealing with while you're in the desert, you can say with David, O Lord, you are my shield. You are my God. Our country has a lot to say about safe places and sanctuary cities, right? Well, this place, Christ Community Presbyterian Church, this is your safe place. This is your sanctuary city. For it is here that your God wraps his arms around you and reminds you of just how much he loves you because it is those same arms that wrap around you that were stretched out on the cross. It is those arms that have built this church. My friends, may it be today that we know that worship does something amazing for the child of God. May we know and believe that we are meeting the Almighty God here in this place that he hears every word you utter, 
and knows every thought that's on your mind and heart. May we worship him in truth and in spirit, the one true and living God. Amen.